0: You have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn in the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy, the 12th chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. You're welcome to use those. This article appeared in the Washington Post several days ago, entitled, Valentine's Day on the Cheap. Saying I love you doesn't have to cost anything. Now, I know you're wondering, Craig, why didn't you share this information with us last week before we spent all that money yesterday? But the point isn't to tell you how to save money. I just want to share some statistics with you from that article. The average person was projected to spend $142.31 yesterday for flowers, apparel, candy, and so forth. That was up from 133. Yeah, everybody's saying I didn't spend that much. <laughs> but according to the National Retail Federation, Americans, Americans were expected to spend $18.9 billion, $18.9 billion on Valentine's Day. And gift giving isn't limited to just people on Valentine's Day. Even pets cash in. According to the same retail group, men will spend $7.09 on Fido. And women will spend $3.54 on Fifi. Now, I made up those names, but you get the point. So the point is, when we love, we want to give. It's that simple. When we love, we want to give. And the same thing should be true about our worship. When we love, we want to give. That's what I want us to talk about this morning as we come once again to Deuteronomy chapter 12. If you have your Bible open, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we can hear read together the word of the one and only true and living God. Beginning in verse five. But you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts what you have vowed to give, and your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks, there in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to, because the Lord your God has blessed you. You're not to do as we do here today, everyone as he sees fit, since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God is giving you, but you will cross the Jordan, and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And he will give you rest from all your enemies around you, so that you will live in safety. Then, to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. There, you are to bring everything I command you your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. And there, rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and daughters. Your men servants and maid servants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now, as we ask each time we come to your word, that you would fulfill your promise, and that is to bless the reading and the hearing of your word. Father, may the truth of your word transform hearts and lives this morning, as you, O Spirit of God, Join the truth of God's word. Change us. Make us more the people you desire us to be. Make us more loving. Make us more giving. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. This morning we return once again to the topic of worship. A topic that really should be of great interest to every single one of us because before all else and above all else, you and I are to be worshipers of God. Look at the end of verse 18 in Deuteronomy 12. You are to rejoice before the Lord your God in everything you put your hand to. In all things, rejoice, worship before the Lord. 1 Corinthians 2.31 So whether you eat or drink, which we do multiple times every day, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Eat for the glory of God. Drink for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. You and I are called to be people of worship. So questions should interest us, like how do I make my life a life of worship? How willing am I to have the truth of the Word of God realign how I think and realign how I act so that I truly am a worshiper in spirit and truth? Well, over the course of the last several weeks, we've discovered or at least been reminded of some truths about worship. And the first truth is this, that that worship must be God-centered. And we have noted each of the past several weeks that whatever God ordains is right and good, and God ordains that worship is right and good for us, then our enemy, Satan, opposes that. Worship is no exception. Since God has ordained that in worship our focus should be on him, then our enemy, Satan, opposes that and attempts to get our focus on ourselves. He will attempt with us, as he did with Jesus in the desert when he was being tempted, to divert our eyes away from God and onto ourselves. Satisfying our needs, our wants, our opinions. You and I have to be reminding ourselves always that worship is about God and His glory. Secondly, we've seen that because worship is about God and His glory, and because in worship we are looking up toward God and we are unpacking the name, the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, that worship is about seeing more and more of who He is. Lord, You are, You are, You are. And the more we see who he is, the more we rejoice, as this passage passage calls us to. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. How could it be any other when we think of Christ? How could it be any other when we think about the gospel, which is good news? When is good news not a thing of joy? Thirdly, we saw that worship must be a community event. All kinds of people, from all kinds of places, and all kinds of races, and all kinds of backgrounds, Worshiping the Lord together. This is what the Lord requires. Because a diverse community, uh, worship community, proclaims the gospel. It says that we all, everyone, is in equal need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. If anyone will have life, if anyone will have life, true life, eternal life, it must come from Christ and Christ alone, rich, rich poor, black, white, educated, ignorant, it doesn't matter. Our diverse worship proclaims the gospel. We all need Jesus, and Jesus is freely offered to all. And so we celebrate that in worship. This morning, I want us to move to a fourth truth about worship. And that is that worship must be a time of sacrificial giving. So I ask you to look again in the middle of verse 5. People, God's people are commanded there to go to the place that God will choose for His name, and there bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give, and your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. Now look at verse 11. To the place the Lord will choose, go there. Bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord, and there rejoice before the Lord your God. Verses 17 and 18 read similarly. Now look at verse 26. But take your consecrated things and whatever you have vowed to give and go to the place the Lord will choose. Present your burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord your God. So once again we ask, what are we to learn About worship from God's repetition. Offer, 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 six times. Sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. Give, give, give. Bring, bring, present. That's what we read over and over in this one chapter. So clearly, worship is a time for God's people to give joyfully to the Lord. Worship is a time. For God's people to give joyfully to the Lord. Just as joy is a response of the heart that sees the glory and the beauty and the splendor of Christ, so is giving. It's a response to the goodness of God. That's why we give. Look in verse 7. There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you put your hand to. Why? Because the Lord your God has blessed you. We give to God and worship because we understand that we have. We understand all that we have to give as a result of God's blessing on our lives. We give because we understand that the sun is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word apart from the sustaining word of Christ, all things, all things would collapse. They would be undone. Our lives, our health, our strength, our families, our jobs, all things undone apart from the sustaining word of Christ. And if we don't have a deeply held belief that that's true, we will not give. We will not sacrifice to the Lord, at least not for the right reasons. If we sing, as we sang this morning, that there are 10,000 reasons to bless the Lord, but we believe that, well, we're just being poetic when we sing. We're employing some kind of spiritual hyperbole hyperbole to communicate that God really is pretty good to us. But if we don't believe that there really are 10,000 reasons and many, many more reasons to bless the Lord and to give to the Lord, then our minds and hearts are not yet in line with the truth of the Word of God. And we have not understand, understood fully the name of God. So let's get some truth established. Truth that I think will help us long to give all that we are to the Lord. First is this. Of everyone who is present here today, of everyone who is present here today, only one person among us is eternal, and that is the Lord himself. God maintained. God completely supported himself when there was nothing else but him. Nothing else. Neither you nor I existed to give to him. Nothing existed that could, could contribute to God's fullness. God possesses within himself what John Calvin calls a glorious all-sufficiency. And God is unique in this. He alone possesses complete independence from everything and everyone. I so appreciate the Westminster Confession of Faith. That's our denominational confession. And the nearly five years of intense study that it required from around 150 theologians and scholars and laymen, who poured over Scripture, who devoted their time and their lives to creating it, who put forth bold truths about God and then had to defend those truths with Scripture. Following paragraphs are part of what they produced in their study of God. This is from chapter 2, section 1. There is but one only living and true God, who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will, for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgressions and sin, the rewarder of them who diligently seek Him, and withal most just and terrible in His judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. And this from section 2. God has all life, glory, goodness, blessedness, in and of himself, and is alone in and unto himself all-sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which he has made, not deriving from any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is alone, fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, And to whom are all things, and has most sovereign dominion over them, to do by them, for them, and upon them whatsoever Himself pleases. That is a lot of truth to hear and try to comprehend about God in just a moment. But it's when we give ourselves to trying to comprehend these truths, even in part. It's when we focus our hearts and our minds and our lives intently on these truths about God. It's when we do that. That we, God's people, are motivated and inspired to give to God. God is complete in and of himself. He is immutable. That's the theological term to mean he doesn't change. He is impassable. That's the theological term to say he's not subject to suffering, pain, or the ebb and flow of involuntary passions, emotionally needy like we are. God is is completely independent of us. And so when we give to this immutable, impassable God, it's not because God has need from us or is dependent upon us. When we give to the Lord, it can't be while we think, well here, Lord, take this real no, here really I, I don't need this. You just take it. It will look so you will look so glorious in what I give to you. That's not why we give God doesn't need it. But let's not read from confessions. Let's read from the Word of God. Isaiah 66, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what's the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. Psalm 50. Here's a great one. Beginning in verse 9, God says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. I could read more, but these passages are sufficient to demonstrate that God is completely independent. He requires nothing from us to be perfectly blessed for all eternity. And so the question becomes for us, why then does the Lord bother with us at all? What's in it for Him? You know what you and I are like, we easily dismiss or we marginalize people that we perceive can't do anything for us if they can't help us socially, get social points, or economically, or vocationally, if we get nothing emotionally from them, it's easy for us then to just sideline them or not invest in those people. So what's in it for God? Well, it's an opportunity for God to display the beauty of his glorious love and the hope that comes with it perfect love exists. It does. But we can find it only in God. And yes, the reality of that perfect love brings glory to God. Because love like this is truly amazing. Grace like his is truly amazing. Compassion like his is truly amazing. We're not equal to God. Everything, everything that we do falls short of God's perfection. Our love falls short. Our compassion falls short. Our gifts fall short. Our singing falls short. Our praying falls short. My preaching falls short. Everything falls short of God's perfection. And yet, He receives us anyway. Is that good news? He welcomes us. He rejoices over us with singing. That's what Scripture says. Why then should we ever have to be begged or cajoled to give to God? Why should we ever be reluctant to give to a God like our God? When we love, we want to give. It's that simple. If you know him, you will give to him. Here's another passage. Hosea chapter 6, verse 4. God speaking, O Israel and Judah, what should I do with you? asks the Lord. For your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like dew in the sunlight. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. God wants us to know him. And the proportion to which we know God and know him well, that's how we give. We need to know God more and more. Secondly, this morning let's look at what it is that we are supposed to give these verses here in deuteronomy mention several kinds of different gifts to give to the lord burnt offerings sacrifices tithes special gifts vowed gifts freewill offerings and firstborn from your flocks verse 11 adds choice possessions i don't want to talk about each of you're glad i don't want to talk about each of these individually we'd never get out of here Because we're not Old Testament believers, our lives are not ordered by the sacrificial system, but they do paint a picture for us, an example of the Lord's unchanging heart and what he requires of us. So let's just look at the first two kind of offerings that are mentioned here, burnt offerings and sacrifices. Both of them were animal offerings. Burnt offerings were completely consumed by the fire. Nothing was left of them. And so as the worshiper brings the burnt offering, as they watch the smoke of that offering waft toward heaven, as they see that every part of that offering is completely consumed, it was a visual reminder that all things, all parts of everything belong to the Lord and go back to Him. That, of course, is in line with Romans 11.36. For from Him and through Him and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever. How many times can we say it? From him, through him, and back to him, are all things, to him be glory forever. Amen. It's aligned with Romans, chapter 12, verse 1. Paul writes there, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So when Paul says here, present your bodies, he means present your whole self. And so he's using the sacrificial language of the Old Testament. Even from right here in Deuteronomy chapter 12 to make this point. The whole animal, the whole entire animal was placed on the altar as a gift to God. And so your body, all of you, soul, body, spirit, all of it belongs to the Lord in life and in death. But with this difference. A sacrifice was dead, but you are alive now and eternally because of Christ and his sacrifice for you. And so when we talk about giving this morning, this is what we are to give, our whole selves. We're not to limit our discussion to giving money. We broaden the discussion of giving to include all of our lives, your time, your talents, whatever it is that makes up you. makes up me. All of it belongs to the Lord. Matthew Henry writes in his 18th century commentary. These old guys are so great. Many who will readily part with their sacrifices, money, will not be persuaded to part with their sins. They relied on the mere form of a service as a service deserving a reward. The most costly devotions without thorough reformation of heart and life, cannot be acceptable to God. He doesn't just want our money and our stuff. He wants us. God deserves our lives, our repentant lives, every part of them. The second offering that's mentioned here is the sacrifice. Sacrifice, they were different from burnt offerings because they were not completely consumed. The fat was burned up. That's... Big good news. I'd be gone, old fat. But they were. The fat portions were burned up as the Lord's portion, and the meat was divided by the priests and the worshipers who ate together in the presence of the Lord. So here's priest, worshiper, and God sharing a meal together. That's consistent with Jesus' message to the Christians at Laodicea, in that church, Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. See, in the, the ancient world, you could hardly find closer fellowship than the fellowship that was to be had around the table, sharing a meal together. And that's what Jesus offers to the Laodiceans, is close fellowship, intimate fellowship with him. That's what our immutable God has always made provision for. He never changes in this one thing. He wants to have fellowship with his people. So giving in worship is our means of achieving this intimate fellowship with the Lord. Giving our all in worship, not holding back. Giving our best in worship without distraction. And that's why we have a time of preparation every Sunday before we enter together into the presence of the Lord so we can prepare our sacrifice. That's what we're doing, preparing our sacrifice ourselves to present to the Lord or to present to the Lord. Because when we love, we want to give. It's that simple. As we've been seeing over the past several weeks, what God ordains, our enemy opposes. And so it is with our giving. Our enemy seeks to pervert it. He seeks to make it rote and heartless and detached. He seeks to turn it into an obligation instead of a great privilege. And he accomplishes that by turning our gaze inward toward ourselves instead of upward to God. I knew a, a, a man who was very wealthy, and he repeatedly asked me this question, Craig, Craig do you tithe on gross or net? Over and over he would ask me, do you tithe on gross or net? Now, why did he ask me that question? Because he wanted to give so much or because he wanted to give so little? Let's listen to what happens to giving when the giver does not focus on the glory, the greatness, the goodness, and the grace of our immutable, impassable God. Malachi 1.6 A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I'm a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It's you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? The sad thing is that this passage describes reality. This is what God's people... People who were blessed by God were doing. They were giving the great and glorious, good and gracious, immutable and impassable God the leftovers. Not the first, not the best, but what they didn't want and couldn't use and what what would not benefit them. We read similarly in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well fed beasts. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the the widow's cause, and then here comes the gospel. Verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. That's the gospel, even in the Old Testament. And it's only when you and I understand the gospel that we are willing and eager to give all of ourselves to the Lord. Sins forgiven. Is that good news? Amen. Life, now and eternally. Is that good news? Amen. Only the gospel makes our giving the joyful response that it should be. And so our whole lives are to be given back to God who has done so much for us, for the Old Testament believer. Everything that they had in their hand to sacrifice was a result of God's faithfulness to them. He promised he would give them the promised land, and he did. He promised he would bless them if they would obey, and he did. For you and for me, Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he has given us that life. But only because he gave his life as a sacrifice for us. When that truth sinks into us, we give of ourselves. We give all that we have joyfully because we know that even the breath and our body is a gift from God. And we love Him for giving it to us. We give because we rejoice in our Savior, Jesus Christ, and who He is. And what He has done for us. And we love Him because of who He is. And what He has done for us. And when we love, we want to give. It's that simple. When we give, it's like shouting, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! What a Savior. What will you give to the Lord? Let's pray. Father, in the next few moments of quietness, we pray that you would be at work in our hearts, O Spirit of God, helping us to take stock of ourselves. Who we are and what we have, what you have given to us, Lord, in all of our lives. Financially, yes, but in every other way as well. And Father, help us take stock of how willing we are to give back to you, to give sacrificially to you, because from you and through you and back to you belong all things. So I pray, Lord, that you help us examine our hearts now. Convict us where we need to be convicted if we're stingy. Father, if we're already giving you so much, show us ways that we can give you more because we love you more. And when we love you, we want to give to you. It's that simple. So do your work in us and among us in these next few moments of quietness. Father in heaven, now we acknowledge once again that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything belongs to you, Lord. You need nothing from us, but we need to give to you. So I pray, Lord, that you would inspire our hearts. Show us how to give you more and more. Lord, the the more we know you, the more we see you, the more we understand you and your glory and your splendor, the more, Lord, your gospel penetrates our hearts the more you will, we will want to give to you. So make us giving people because we know you and because we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.